Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ear Hammer Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ear Hammer Podcast. I am your host, Billy Crooked. This is episode one, and I have a wonderful guest on the episode today, a young man named Jeremy Demery. So who is Jeremy Demery, and why is he the guest on episode one? Well, I'm going to tell you. He is, one, the engineer of Golden Ox Studios here, where I am recording this podcast. So... He's going to be here listening to me do all these episodes. And not only that, he was the bass player in an amazing band out of Cleveland, Ohio called All Dinosaurs. Now, I was a huge fan of All Dinosaurs myself. And um, I also had a personal relationship with that band, as I mentioned in the trailer, which if you haven't heard yet, uh, I'd recommend going back and listening to that. I introduce what the podcast is going to be about, and myself. But I mentioned that I was in a band called The Vacancies, and the bass player in that band was a gentleman by the name of Bo Bowersmith, who after the Vacancies uh, broke up, Bo had became, uh, started the band All Dinosaurs with his buds, one of those buds being, um, oh, well, scratch that. Um so Bo Bowersmith started All Dinosaurs with some friends, and eventually Jeremy Demery became the bass player in that band. So there's a connection there, and uh, I mentioned they're fantastic. So if you're not familiar with All Dinosaurs, please go check them out and then come back and listen to this interview with Jeremy. Um, Jeremy is also uh, a very, very busy man hitting the uh, underground uh, stand up comedy network. Uh, and he's just everywhere all over Cleveland, Ohio doing his stand up. So what we're going to do is have, we're going to have Jeremy come in and we're going to get to know a little bit about his story and what he's up to. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to the very first Ear Hammer podcast. I am and will be your host, Billy Crooked. Thank you for joining me today. And this is a very special episode because it's the first ever. So what this podcast is going to be about is uh, about a little thing I started back in, uh, in 2020 called Ear Hammer Records. So it's a record label based here in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, I've got about seven bands that we work with and promoting and um, getting the bands out there to as many people as possible. So if you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that you're a fan of music or maybe you just will be. Um, so my name is Billy Crooked, like I mentioned, and um, I've been in the Cleveland music scene for quite a while. Um, I've been in a band called The Vacancies for almost uh, 10 years, and uh, took a little time off after that. I'm currently in a band called Skitter and in a band called Artemis Ward, where I play guitar and sing and skitter, and I'm a frontman for the band Artemis Ward, which both of those bands I do shamelessly 
promote on Earhammer Records. Amongst um, some other wonderful, wonderful acts. Um, so what this podcast is going to do is going to bring some of those acts, some of those band members from uh, the various bands. We're going to get a chance to meet them, kind of unpack the meat and potatoes behind their music, the band, what they, you know, their career so far, what it's like being a band here in Cleveland, and um, what they have going on. We're going to listen to some of their tunes. We'll hear some parts of songs and you know, hear the artists talk about those particular songs. And um, we're going to get to know these particular folks, their music, amongst uh, some other people involved in the Cleveland music scene. So it might not always be Earhammer Records artists, bands, um, but other people that kind of make this whole Cleveland underground music scene happen. So, um, yeah, so I have the record label. Um, that was started out of necessity, actually, because of um, the pandemic. Um, my band at the time, Skitter, was on a record label called um, Blackheart Records. So that is Joan Jett's record label that she started back way back in the day, released her first um, album and many albums since. Um, so because of the pandemic, Blackheart Records was um, basically not releasing anything. And Skitter had a uh, uh, we made an EP that just needed to come out and I just, yeah, I didn't have a really much of a, much of a choice. I said, I think it's maybe time to start a record label because, you know, I wanted to get that EP out and, uh, and it's turned out to be really cool that I was able to, uh, get some of my favorite bands in, in this city and get them, uh, onto the label so that I could help promote them and bring them under an umbrella, which is the record label. So, uh, with that being said, I want to thank a Mr. Jeremy Demery for having this wonderful studio called Golden Ox Studio, which really is making this whole thing uh, possible because I was able, he's, he's a good friend of mine, and I was able to hit him up and, and uh, sneak in some studio time here at Golden Ox. So, uh, this being the first episode, this is going to be an interview with Jeremy Demery. As the first guest. All right. Jeremy Demery. Hi. How are, how are you? I'm good. It's nice to have you on here as my first guest ever. I, I don't feel super original because you did mention that you've been a first guest before. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I was telling uh, Mary Santora a couple of weeks ago that her and I are everyone's first guests. <laughs> if they can't get yep. her, they ask me. Well... I guess that's a good thing. Maybe that just means I have good taste. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, hey, Jeremy. Or um, you knew I was going to be available. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I'm literally available to do any podcast that comes through the studio. I'm just proxy alone. Because you're here. I'm here all the time. <laughs> well, I got to say, this the studio you have is awesome. Oh, it's thank a, you. It's amazing. And and um, when did you start Golden Ox Studios? I started... Uh, uh, as far as the government is concerned, I started October of 2019. Uh, I had been recording, well, I started the studio and like the LLC and moved into here. Well, I moved into here August of 2019 and then I got the LLC all officiated and everything through a lawyer in October of 2019. And then, um, yeah, it had been doing a, I think I I think I only did like three different podcasts 
to start and I was doing them out of like in different locations. So like one podcast I'd do out of my buddy Patrick's house who was on, him and I had a podcast together. And then, um, this guy, this fucking motorcycle. People are going to think we're out in like in the front yard. Yeah. (laughs) That's okay. Motorcycle engines are cool. Yeah. Those are cool. (laughs) But they tend to ruin podcast recordings. I think it's great. It adds flavor, but I had no idea they had studio that long already. Man, time flies. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I was doing, I was doing the Zone Zone podcast out of their either one of their houses, and then uh, I was doing what was the other podcast I was doing before? I can't even remember. It's been so long. There was one other podcast I was doing. Are you going to edit that? <laughs> no, I don't care. I'm just I'm just having a conversation. Yeah, I don't care either. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so how many podcasts do you, do you engineer for now? Um, so I kind of have it broken up, uh, on there's, so there's two different categories of podcasts that I help produce. There's podcasts that are on my network and those are podcasts in which, uh, I've partnered up with, uh, to this way I can, uh, you know, help out local artists here who don't necessarily have the budget to pay me. <laughs> so, uh, I kind of, if I like their idea, I think they have the drive. Then what I do is I approach them with partnering up with the studio and I, that's on my network. And then there's, so there's probably 15 or 16 podcasts on the network and about, a, I think four or five podcasts out of network that, you know, either they, they have just no interest in being on the network. So it's like, Hey, fair enough. But I do need to charge you something. So, oh, yeah. we should have talked about that ahead of time. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. You, I think you. We did. I'm kidding. Yeah. I think we <laughs> talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it works out great. Um, yeah. So uh, another thing that maybe some of the listeners don't know um, is you are also in a a Cleveland based band, rock and roll band, very heavy, fast rock and roll band called All Dinosaurs. I was. I played bass. Yes, yes, you certainly did, and very well, sir. Oh, thanks. I'm a, I was a, a big fan of all dinosaurs and still am. And uh, I mean, your studio is cool, but really, I wanted to have you come on and talk about all dinosaurs because they're they're wonderful. I mean, I, I, I don't mind talking all dinosaurs. I don't get to do it very often, so it's kind of nice to talk yeah. about that for a little while and kind of remember, like, you know. A little nostalgic. That, yeah, that, that, like I, it was probably one of my. I, if I, I think if I look back, it's probably going to be one of my favorite times of my life. Like it's, and I'm married, and <laughs> <laughs> you're not allowed to edit that out. No, I definitely no. won't. I don't, <laughs> oh. She knows. She, <laughs> you're on she, open and honest. That's great. Yeah, it's a solid relationship. Hell yeah, dude. Um, how long was all dinosaurs together? Uh, so I joined the I joined the band the, like towards the uh, the beginning of 20, 2011. That's right because Brandon Moore was the first bass player. Correct. Yes, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I replaced him because uh, he had circumstances in which he couldn't be in the band anymore. So. Uh, and then what was the full lineup then when you did join? So when I joined, it was uh, Joe Willis, 
Dave Gibeon, Bo Bauer Smith, and uh, well, and I replaced Brandon. Right. And uh, it's funny because sometimes people uh, will mistake me for Brandon. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got into a conversation with somebody about all dinosaurs, and they're like, "Oh yeah, it's Brandon's band." <laughs> Yep. And they I was like, Oh, I was I was in that band. They're like, No, you weren't. <laughs> they like tried to say I wasn't in the band at all and I was lying to them. <laughs> Even though Brandon was in the band like for only maybe six months yeah. and I was in the band. I think the band lasted from I mean, I guess technically we're still quote unquote we never officially broke up. Mm-hmm. So the band's been going since <laughs> so I've been in the band for a decade now. You're right. And uh, Brandon was in the band for six months, and mm-hmm. he gets a lot more credit than I do. <laughs> just <laughs> because fine you, with it. I don't care. What just it? because you look look similar in a tiny, yeah, tiny and we, way. And, we, I, and I yeah, I do take it as because I like I like if it was anybody if I didn't like the person, I think I'd be offended by it. But yeah. since I love him so much, I'm like, I'll, plus he's funnier than I am, so I'm like, hell yeah, dude, like. <laughs> So, I'm fine with that comparison. I, I, uh, I'm fine with them thinking he was the bass player. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, and you guys released three albums. Is that correct? Yeah. And you recorded on all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon did a demo. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, shortly after that, uh, I joined the band. And then, yeah, we were, I was on the, I've been on every record. So right. it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like uh, I'm trying to learn his parts, which was nice. You know, like I didn't – I think I used some of what he did because I think there was like two or th- maybe one or – I would say maybe two or three songs that he had bass. And I, so I, I took some of that and used it and then the rest I kind of did my own thing. So because there was good ideas there. Brandon's a great bass player, so yeah, great musician all around. Yeah, yeah. guitar oh, yeah. and vocals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bo Bowersmith was—I mentioned that uh, I was in a band called The Vacancies for almost ten years. Yeah, and and Bo was the bass player in in most of that for you know most of the Vacancies stuff. Yeah, I was in—I was I, before all dinosaurs. I was never a bass player. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I had to use Bo's equipment when I first joined the band for like. Probably the first eight nine months mm-hmm. until I could afford to get my own equipment. <laughs> Fantastic! He's using his vacancies gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything, uh, everything said vacancies on it, which mm-hmm. is really great. I <laughs> thought that was awesome. That is great. And then, okay, so then uh, the band broke up about how long ago? How long has it been? We've been on a indefinite hiatus. I, I didn't mean to say broke up. Yeah, yes. no, it's it's all right. I don't Thank uh, you for correcting me. Yeah. Since, uh, I think, 2015? No, that can't be right. I would say probably at least since 2018, 2019, something like that. Okay. No, 2018 is probably about right. Uh-huh. I think 2018 was the last time we played a show. That sounds okay. more correct. We could probably Google something yeah, and I'm find Yeah, I'm sure out. it's somewhere. But roughly around that that long. Yeah. I don't know if you're aware, but I've been campaigning to get all dinosaurs to perform again and maybe record. It would be pretty astonishing if I wasn't aware, considering the last time we talked, you said, I'm trying to get all dinosaurs back together. (laughs) And I said, 
I would do it. I'd gladly do it. Uh, as long as those guys wanted to do it, because they're a little bit more. It's not that I'm not busy. I think that they have more. Uh, they have more uh, responsibility than I do. Like I'm able to set my responsibilities aside for a little while to mm-hmm. focus on that. Where you know Dave has got a kid on the way. Bo's got a kid. So it does make it tough. Yeah, that was why I walked away from music for a while. Yeah, because I had I had little ones at home, and it was just hard to juggle both. Yeah, because uh, you know they start to get as they get older, they start to have their own interests and things, and then it gets easier. Yeah, when you're not wiping asses, you know. And That's true. It's tough to clean butts and boogers and do that, and then be a rock star. Yeah, but then I feel like you know, then they they start gaining their own interests. So they you know they'll play sports in which they need rides to, and then you know things like that. Yeah. So that's tough to juggle as well, even as they get older. Well, I will have you know that I have talked to each and every member of All Dinosaurs, and every single member said, hell yeah, I would love to do that again. Are they here now? I'm just kidding. Oh my God, wouldn't it be great? (laughs) And here they are now. (laughs) If only I planned better podcasts. (laughs) Well, no, everyone has said... Hell yeah, I would do that in a heartbeat, you know. And so there is definite interest. Even Joe Willis. No, I'm just no kidding. Mike Burroughs. Oh, who, good. Who we didn't mention because yeah, we were Mike, talking lineup there for a minute. Yeah. So yeah, and then Mike or Joe was in the band until 2014. I want to say I'm really bad with dates. Mm-hmm. Well, I've noticed. And because uh, I was drinking and doing a lot of drugs at the time. So mm-hmm. things are very blurry for me. Mm-hmm. I'd say mo- I, of all the people you could have asked facts about all dinosaurs to, I am the worst person to ask because I was doing so many drugs and drinking so much all the time. But yeah, and then uh, we parted ways with Joe Willis and we asked Mike Burroughs into the band and that is by far the best. Nothing again. Joe Willis was n- by far, you know, Joe Willis is a good drummer. Mm-hmm. He is. Yeah. But Mike, um, Mike was the, uh, the backbone that we needed to, especially for that third record, because it was such a complicated piece of work that we were, we were, we put ourselves through. And I mean, I've never worked so hard on anything in my life. It was crazy. I mean, we recorded that album, I'd say, at least 150 times before we even, and then we demoed it, I think, four times in studio. Which album are you referring to? Uh, The last one. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm really, again, I don't even remember what it was called. I can look it up. Hold on. (laughs) Yeah, we'll pull it up and get some names for you. And so Joe Willis was the drummer on the first album, I believe. Oh, total dissatisfaction. Total. The third record. And well, I'm sorry. What was the question? Oh, I was just making a point while you're looking at your phone. Uh, Joe Willis was the drummer on the first album, correct? He was the yeah first and second record. Joe oh, was the was the drummer, and then Mike Mike came on for the third record. Ah, oh, see, okay, I learned something. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, Mike is a freak of nature. Um, he is an amazing, amazing drummer. Yeah, he's incredible. Like I've never, I've never worked with somebody uh, who's in, so incredibly talented. And not only is that he's very creative, but he's also very well trained, well, very well honed in his craft. 
uh, he would, it was remarkable. Like he would know exactly what he was going to do before he did it. And like even showing him like, okay, we have this new part to the song. He'd go, okay, he'd have us riff it for like three, four times. They go, okay, riff it again, three, four times. We go through it. He wouldn't hit or touch anything. Just listen. Just sit there and listen and kind of like move his arms around and kind of like he would, and then he would like just map it out in his head and then go, okay, I got it. And then one, two, three, four, boom. And it's insane. And it's, he was so solid when it came to tempo, uh, which was a huge factor for us because if we, because some of the material was so chaotic and complicated for us as musicians, we needed somebody that was very consistent with tempo and it needed to stay in this nice little pocket where it wasn't too fast. It wasn't too slow. It needed to stay in that pocket because otherwise the whole, everything gets thrown off the rails and he kind of helped us uh, have that foundation. So this way we can, worry a little bit more on the performance aspect than we were like, Oh, are we all together on this? Because we knew Mike had it handled. Sure. There was a lot of trust with him. I think that would be a really good segue to let the listeners hear a song from all dinosaurs. Would you, would you, uh, cue up maybe your favorite from that total dissatisfaction album? Yeah, I can cue up. Uh, what, what's, uh, what's the name? uh, What's the name of that tune? I'll, I'll do uh man, there are a lot that I really do love on all three of these records.
the last one was the last record we did. Just the experience alone is not only that I'm really proud of that record. It's probably the best work I've ever done artistically, but it was such a joy that that record was such a joy to make because all of us were in a very good place. Uh, it, we were all very focused on the work. And so I think that record, the second record, there was just so much going on and we had kind of, there's so many outside elements that it kind of made that second record uh, is, is happy as I am with it. It did make it very uh, taxing to make. Mm-hmm. Cause there was all, and I think ultimately that's kind of what led that band or it, what led us to kind of cut ties with Joe too was, you know, it was, it was difficult and we, we were noticing that we weren't necessarily creatively weren't seeing eye to eye on a lot of different things. So it happens a lot. I mean, that's the demise of really most bands that call it quits or move on with members or whatever. I mean, that's, yeah. And we were, it's tough and we're all very, uh, very passionate individuals Mm -hmm. and we care a lot about what we were doing, how we were doing it. So, uh, you know, and we're young and immature, so we don't necessarily know how to express ourselves in in confrontation. Yeah, so, it's like um, having a spouse, a significant significant other, a partner that it's you know the communication, the ideas, the differences to work through those. But it's not usually just one on one. You've got three, four, five people. Yeah, that you have to balance that is hard. I don't think a lot of people really understand how hard the relationship side of keeping a band together. Yeah. It's is. like being in a marriage with no money. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you're constantly fighting about no money, not the greatest living situations. Like your babies it, are the songs. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we're very passionate about how they end up and where, where we want it to go and how we want to do this. And, you know, in when you live six inches apart from somebody <laughs> for, years you know and how often we toured you know you're there's going to be some sort of confrontation at some point it's just human nature and then whether or not you can work through it right yeah or talk it out or you know give a give a little hug afterwards and (laughs) right you know oh here's a funny story one time we were on the road and uh uh, i i was notorious for being an overpacker like I would pack too many clothes. I would have just too many things with me, which when you travel with other people in that way tends to be their responsibility as well. And uh, there was uh, two bags in the back of the van. And for whatever reason, Dave assumed both those bags are mine. And only like, and this was like the first time I had an overpacked. Like I really slimmed it down like I only had like one bag, my and my I think my pillow and that was it, and I was like so and we were on the road for like three months, and uh, I was like so proud of the fact that I like slimmed everything down. I first time on tour, I didn't overpack. I brought exactly what I needed, and uh, Dave was like, "Why the fuck do you have to bring so much shit?" <laughs> and I lost it. I was so mad at him. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I think all I said was fuck you and then didn't talk to him for two days. And when you're touring with somebody and you live six inches apart from each other, two days is a very long time to not speak to somebody. It is. Yeah. That's, yep. Uh, I've had some similar experiences in in my past as well. (laughs) Arguments on the road, which led to very awkward and uncomfortable days. Yeah, you always, you you be quickly became like, uh, the uh, the older brother of that band very quickly. Anytime there was, we needed advice or needed to talk, like anytime you even show, you and Mike showed up to a show, either myself or Dave would like corner the both of you or one of you and be like, this is what's going on. <laughs> how do we, how do we navigate? Cause you guys had already gone through all of it. Right. So you guys were a really great resource for us to go. This is what's going on with us you know, how, how, like, what's your take on it? Mm-hmm. And you guys were always, uh, I, I appreciated the fact that you guys were always, uh, open to answering our dumbass questions as young little shits. <laughs> well, we wanted to see you guys do well and we were always happy to help, you know, yeah. pass on a little bit of wisdom that maybe we picked up over the years. I remember yelling at Bo about some of the set lists you guys would put together for live shows. Mm-hmm. And I would say, Bo, you got to, Stop playing these brand new songs and play your album that just came out like four <laughs> months ago. Like they're, you know, I've only seen you play these songs a couple times, and you guys are sick of it because you've already you, you wrote the song, you rehearsed the hell out of it, tracking in the studio, you're playing the song a million times. So you play the show a lot. You're like, and then you write a new song, and it's like, oh man, this new song is fun. Yeah. So then you want to play that out. But you forget as a band, as an artist or performer, that the audience isn't aren't sick of those songs yet. Right. Yeah, they're new. They're, they're new to them. Right. And I yeah. said, Bo, you're not playing this song and that song. Were you crazy? And he'd say, well, we're, we're sick of that song. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we had that. We constantly went back and forth on, on that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think it. Uh, there's no right or wrong answer really on that. Like, no, everybody does it. It's yeah. Just, I was just another one of those things of trying to like pass on a little in the second, that, the big brother. Thing. Well, to the second record, it was different. Like we were sick of those songs because it was so, it was so incredibly difficult to make that record because there was so many different outside elements coming into play. Uh, I don't know if I should go into it, but I'm going to anyways, cause I don't give a shit. <laughs> uh, so there was, uh, this group of guys who wanted to make a documentary on a band uh, trying to make it, essentially. And, like, they wanted to come on the road with us and film everything and anywhere we were. They wanted to, re- like, be with us when we were recording the record. And, you know, we did. I didn't necessarily – I wasn't comfortable with that. I won't speak for the other guys, but I'll speak for myself on that. Uh, I wasn't comfortable with it because I felt like our story isn't unique to this city. Anything and everything we are going through or have gone through, several bands have gone through the same thing. It would only go to make us look whiny in the end, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and again, I didn't necessarily have the maturity to handle that, um, confrontation of being like, I don't feel comfortable doing this. And then, you know, I, 
we explain to them, hey, we would love to be a part of your documentary, but we don't think it's best suited to be about us. Did everyone else in the band feel the same way you did? Not everybody, but uh, most members of the band felt the same way that I did. And uh, so, like, you know, it was tough, like, having to explain to them why we thought it was – and they ended up still doing the documentary, and it ended up being a better documentary in the end. What they they ultimately landed on, I think, was significantly better – than it would have had it just been about us. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think it kind of worked out in the end for everybody. They made a, a phenomenal documentary. Can you say the name of it? If people wanted to check it out or is it? I don't even remember. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember the name of it. Okay. Again, maybe fa- I can put it in the liner notes. Of yeah. The, for the episode. I think it was called, um, yeah, I don't want to butcher it. Okay. I think it was like called like off the road or something along those lines or I could look it up. Yeah. Put that in the liner notes. But so. it was essentially like talking to all kinds of different bands from every from you know, from where we were, kind of like these kind of um essentially, you know, nobody's trying to make it into the music industry to guys at the very top. You know, so they kind of got a full spectrum of what it means to be anywhere on the spectrum of being in the music industry, which I thought was really cool. It was a really interesting documentary. That sounds like it. I have to check it out for Um, myself. And so, you know, it was one of those things that was tough to explain to them why we didn't want to be a part of it. And it ultimately led to ending the relationship with Joe Willis because of some of those creative differences after the second record. So I think it was the reason why we were so quickly trying to get on to something different uh, after the second record was because of the fact we hate, we, it was, I don't say hated making that record, but because of who we worked with Noah. um, Oh my God. I'm so bad. To Cleveland Studio. Right? Yeah, uh, Mercenary Studios is his studio now. Noe Buchanan. Okay. Uh, his studio, which it wasn't called Mercenary at the time, but well, it's, I'll just say Mercenary now because it's more of a shout out. Mm-hmm. But working with him was phenomenal. And he would kind of like, he helped us make that record ha- record happen. It had like, had it not been for Noah, I don't think that record would have, I don't think we would have finished it. I think we would have ultimately just blow, blow the whole thing up just Hmm. so we can, but luckily Noah's incredibly talented at what he does. And he, he, he brought ideas to the table that kept it, kept the record, even though we had already kind of had a very clear path of how we wanted to do it. He had these little ideas along the way that kind of kept it or made it fresh and fun for us to record. So uh, we appreciate it. And that's why we went back to him for the third record. Okay. And, uh, man, the, the third record was probably by far the most fun I've had in the most amount of work that I've put into making a record. Like I said, we pro- – every – Every time we finished a song, we'd probably re-record that song in the practice spot and 
record it like 50 different times, changed it 50 different times in 50 different ways, probably tried it 30, 40 different different ways just in the practice spot. So we probably recorded that record 150 times before we went into the studio and demoed it. Went in the studio twice, demoed it twice, changed it up. And then when we went to go record it for real, we're like, okay, here's the record. We have a very clear vision. We still ended up switching things up. Mm-hmm. And that explains why you guys got sick of playing those sh- uh, songs live. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we understand now as listeners. Like, yeah, yeah. Be yeah. sick of that song too. And so I think I, I was proud of the fact that I what, what we have, there was no option that was in, explored. There was no op. There's no different way of playing those songs that wasn't tried. Mm-hmm. So I can feel good knowing that, like, even if somebody had a variation of that song or decided to do a cover of it, odds are good we tried that already. So, like, I'm very proud of the fact that we pretty much exhausted all possibilities before landing on something. That's crazy pro, like, prep work. It was insane. That that is insane. And sometimes, you know, certain members of the band needed to be the adult in the situation in order to keep us all focused and reeled in and still allow us the freedom to have fun. And that was Dave. Dave was a, I I love that man dearly. I'm so proud of uh, the work that we've done together, but sometimes he needed to be the necessary evil and I don't think he liked playing that role, but it was the role that we needed him to play. That's order- Dave Dave Gibeon. Yeah, Dave Gibeon, yeah. yeah. Dave needed to do that to keep us all, because Bo and I tend to be a little bit more um, passive and kind of uh, go, I guess, go with the flow. And when you're that way, there's no direction. And so we needed Dave to have the uh, the vision and and give us a direction so this way we knew how to execute that. Yeah. So we I think it was a really good that last last record was yeah, it was a really good element with everybody. You know, Mike kept a, Mike kept uh, Mike was the glue, Dave was the direction and then Bo and I were the grunt workers. It was worked out perfectly. We were yeah. all very happy doing it. We knew our, we had a little bit at that point. We had a little bit more defined roles in the band, so yeah, it was definitely a lot more fun making that third record. You know, and every first record's the most fun to make, sure, because it's your first one. You're all new to this. You know, you're excited. Yep. You haven't you haven't been jaded yet. You haven't slept on enough floors to go. I. Because, you, you know, the first one, you have this, like, this strange optimism. I should say strange. You should have that kind of optimism of, like, oh, this album's going to be something big and you're excited. And and they tend to be the songs that, you know, you spend the most time writing, too, is the first album, right? Because, like, well, in some cases, it's, yeah. it's a, you know, you might be a band for a couple years before you make your first album. And then after that, it's, like, you start making more albums. So you, like, that first record is, like, I think we special. record. We, I think we recorded that first record six months after I joined. Mm. So we wrote that entire, I think they only had maybe, I think there's 10, there's 10 tracks on, there's, yeah, there's 10 tracks on the first record. I think four of those were written before I joined the band. 
And then I came in with two two songs, which before I joined Out Dinosaurs, I was like an acoustic solo artist. So they had no business for starters asking me to join that band because I was doing something so incredibly different. And I wasn't even they, – they were asking me to play an instrument that they have never seen me play before. That's trust. Yeah. They literally the, – the only reason they asked me to join this band because they thought I was a cool guy. Yeah. And that was flattering enough for me to go because I had already planned on moving. I was ready to leave Cleveland and to a point where most of my shit was sold. Right. And uh, they asked me to join the band. I was like, I'll, it's very sweet of you guys. I love them too. Well, I didn't know Bo before I went and jammed with them. I was like, I'll come jam with you guys because I, I liked both Joe and Dave. And uh, so I, you know, I go in and I jam with them. I meet Bo for the first time. And uh, it was uh, between Bo and I, it was like love at first sight type deal. <laughs> and uh, I, it was with the band itself. Yeah. It was like a, a lo- I loved playing the, the songs that they had. I thought they were very interesting. Uh, it was a different approach that I'd ever seen that I'd seen before to music because all dinosaurs was such a strange middle ground between punk and metal. Like when we played punk shows, we were the weird metal band. When we played metal shows, we were the weird punk band. So I liked the fact that we couldn't necessarily be pigeonholed. And, uh, so yeah, they asked me to, after jamming with them for a little bit, they asked me to join they told me what their goals were for the band, and I ended up staying in Cleveland, not moving to New York. So, and here you are. Here I am. All these years later, with Golden Knox Studio. Yep. And uh, actually, I'm glad you joined the band because my all-time favorite all all dinosaurs song is one you wrote, oh, Castle really? of Uncle Robert. Really? Still, is one of my when you guys would play that live. I was like, oh yes, they're playing it, and it's. You guys, it's still a great song. It was your first, it was on the first album. Yeah. And it was something you had written before. You said you used to perform it solo, just, right? Yeah, as an acoustic artist. Yeah, and then you guys turn it into this like sick, heavy song. And it was just, it was still a crowd favorite, even but towards like some of the last shows you guys played. Yeah, because that, that, even though there's a guy, so <laughs> we basically play the format that I had originally wrote it. Uh, except for in the middle, there's a part where we play this riff. And that riff was from another earlier band I was in called, uh, oh, God. We were only a band for like three months. <laughs> uh, I think it was like called like um, The Path to Mordor, oh, something nice. like that. It was some sort of Lord of the Rings reference. Fantastic Middle Earth reference. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think exciting. it was called the Path to Mordor. Mordor. I'd go, and see then a band. all of all of our lyric or all of our it was a there was no lyrics. No one saying anything. It was a completely musical um, ensemble, I guess. And uh, but all the song titles were, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings references. That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Uh, we, we bonded over the fact that we me, it was like just being a drummer. And uh, we bonded over the fact that we both had read Lord of the Rings as children, and we were pretty uh, dumbfounded by the movies. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, which, you know, in hindsight, the movies weren't that bad, but... The Lord of the Rings movies are wonderful. They're okay. The, the Hobbit is yeah, the left a lot to brutal. be desired. Yeah. 
Um, so for the listeners, a little treat, if you uh, hang out to the end of the episode, I want to close out the, this episode with the castle of uncle Robert. So stick around and hear that song. So it's, we already heard your favorite. It's one, everyone to hear my favorite. Cool. Um, so talk to me a little bit about where you are now. Cause you're still performing just yeah. not with a bass and your long glorious. So hair. after all dinosaurs, uh, well, I guess towards the end of All Dinosaurs, while we were on taking longer and longer breaks between, like, shows and touring, and, uh, you know, those guys had their own lives to get back to and, you know, wives and stuff, houses. And so I, and I didn't really – it's not that I didn't have that. Uh, I, was, I just started seeing – I just started seeing who is now my wife. Uh, but you know, I, I, I wanted to do something creative, but I didn't want, I had zero desire to be in another band because of, you know, I was already in a band with like the, my three closest friends, you know, like I, I have a lot of love and you know, Dave, Bo and Mike are like my brothers. So it's kind of hard to like it's kind of hard to try and rebuild something like that with another group of people. So I didn't really have, and I was so proud. I feel like I kind of, I wouldn't say peaked, but if I, if I were to do something, I, I just knew whatever I was going to do, it had to be completely different than all dinosaurs. I didn't want it to reflect or be a snippet or I didn't want to draw anything from that. And so I, st- I, t- I was talking to a friend about stand-up and how much I love that art form and how much uh, I respect stand-ups, and I just wish you could do it in Cleveland. That's what I kept telling him. I just wish there was somewhere to do stand-up in Cleveland. I feel like stand-up comedy is like the true punk rock that still lives today. Really? I, I agree with that, but that's such an interesting – that's a very interesting take – and I whole I yeah I agree with that a lot. The stuff that comics bring to the table, you know, the make you aware, make you think. Usually, it's against the grain a little bit. You know, it's it's just yeah, they challenge you. It is just the coolest art form. Like I'm a huge stand up fan. Yeah. So like, what? Where did you get the idea that you were going to start doing stand up? So I talked to a friend. And uh, I was like, yeah, I wish there was somewhere to do stand-up in Cleveland. And he had already started doing stand-up in Cleveland. So he's telling me about this, uh, the, about this open mic that's a, you know, it's a comedian's open mic. It's not like mixed where there's some acoustic artists or somebody's doing poems or some shit like that. It's a legit comics open mic. So he's like, write five minutes you, or what you think might be five minutes worth of material. And you can go try it there. And I kind of brushed him off for a few weeks, but he kept harping on me about it. And I was like, yeah, well, let's let's do it. So I go there. He tells me where to go. I signed up for the open mic. He's supposed to come, like, be there. He was going to do the open mic night, too, and be there as support. He never shows up. Mm -hmm. So now I'm doing this. Because I always said, too, like, well, if I wanted to do stand-up, I wouldn't want to do it in Cleveland. Okay. And I was like, I'm th- in that way, I'm thankful that there is no, in my, and I had, I'm such an idiot. Like I had no idea that there was 
stand up in Cleveland. I just didn't realize like an underground scene for it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize it mm-hmm. uh, because you know, in my mind, the only there's only two com- uh, com- to this day, which is kind of sad, but to this day, there's only two comedy clubs or two major comedy clubs here in Cleveland. There's the Improv, and then there's Hilarities, and both are incredible clubs. Both are in the conversation of being top 10, top five uh, clubs in the country. But on their marquees during that time, there was no locals on there. There was a headliner and a middle act, Mm -hmm. both from either LA or New York or Chicago, sometimes Philly. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, well, you got to go to those places in order to start doing stand-up because there's no stand-up here in Cleveland. So you're introduced to a whole new world of underground stand-up. Yeah. And so, yeah, I decided, you know, I'm going to try doing stand-up while those guys, while we're on this little bit of a break or in between doing shows or getting together to practice, I'll just to keep myself creatively active, uh, I'll start doing stand-up. And I'm so happy I did. I, I really... The first time I went up, I'm for the most part bombed. It just ate shit for four and a half minutes and got one laugh at the end. And that laugh wasn't great, but it was enough for me to like be hooked. Fell in love with doing stand up. Then I did stand up for like maybe a couple years. And then uh, I was approached to joining another band with guys that I was you know, close friends with. And uh, I went, well, you know, I'm, I considered joining that band and, but I, I told them that I wouldn't at that point, I wouldn't, I'm not looking to try out for a band, you know, like I feel like at that point I had proven what I'm able to do. So if they wanted me to join, great. Otherwise I'm not going to try out for it. And I think that kind of soured that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, they ended up going with a different bass player, which I was fine with. You know, I just went, okay, if I get if I if I get this, they want me to join, I'll do it, and kind of put stand up on the back burner or use this as a sign. That this is stand up is something I need to be focusing on. And then I didn't get the I didn't get the part <laughs> in, right. in that band, mm-hmm. and uh, then decided, okay, well, there there we have it. I'm I'm a stand up now, and I haven't looked back. I I've been asked to join other bands since I started doing stand up, but uh, I have no desire to to do that. Yeah, either. well, no, you've been doing you've been at hitting the stand-up comedy circuit hard. Like, I see your stuff posted constantly. So you are very active. Yeah. And it seems like it's really grown a lot. I, at least, you know, at least from what I see. Yeah, I mean, I feel like my stand-up has definitely evolved quite a bit over the last few years. It's funny because I, I would say probably like six or seven months ago, I kind of looked through what was like my first iteration of my quote unquote set during when I first started doing stand up, And, uh, 
For one, I don't use any of those jokes anymore. And two, man, were some of them just cringeworthy. But, you know, it's I like the fact that they were cringeworthy because it kind of shows how much I've evolved my stand-up in the same way I've evolved or had evolved as a musician. Mm-hmm. The only difference between music and, I mean, this I'm not telling you anything new here, but the only difference between music and stand-up Stand-up, you get to, you know, you have, to, you have to do it in front of people. You practice in front of people. So you're going to bomb a lot. You you're can't gonna, really – it's got to be weird to even try to rehearse, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Because it's not the same, right? Not at all. And I've only ever – you know, honestly, the only time I recommend somebody doing that is their very first time. Rehearse it by yourself. If if you feel comfortable enough doing it, rehearse it by yourself. I'd say t- try and do your best to write it out with pen, paper, type it out, and then write and type it. Or I'm not write and type, but uh, write and say it out loud. Mm-hmm. So, do you ever record yourself doing jokes and then listen back? When I'm doing open mics, yeah, I'll record myself. Um, especially if I'm working on a new bit and I don't know how it's going to go. Like I haven't fully thought this thing through. So I'll go up in what I call uh, If you're not familiar with stand up, it's called riffing. So you kind of try and talk your way into the funny on stage. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, sometimes it works. Most of the time it doesn't. And you kind of, it's, you go back and you evaluate game tape and go from there. But yeah, it's, it's been an interesting journey in that that's led me into also doing, producing a lot of standups in Cleveland's podcasts. So perfect little uh, marriage of, you know, similar, yeah, similar I, medium or art, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it was one of those things where, with the podcast studio and stand up, one hand needs to be feeding the other, and it, it you know both those worlds kind of mesh together nicely. So, you know, it was kind of it only made sense to give not only myself but other people a platform in which they can further their stand up. Yeah, that's and, great. And gain more awareness for the Cleveland comedy scene and now. You know. And it, it's it's led me to meeting a lot of really interesting people along the way, and that's been great. that's also helped further my stand up career. And you know now I'm doing shows out of town, and now I'm you know stuff like that. I probably even in the pandemic, which really made me worried about what was going to happen with this studio, because you know it's uncharted territory. So you know you don't know how it's going to go, and. It probably, the pandemic probably helped the studio. Really? Yeah. Because I, because we were, everybody was working remotely and we all had to learn that very quickly. So now I'm talking to guys from New York. I'm talking to guys out of LA and we're talking to people who live in Philly and, you know, some smaller markets as well. And, 
So I never would have met them had it not been for the pandemic. And every, literally every comic throughout the country or even in different countries now are all available to talk yeah. because we're not out doing shows every night. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, that's so, really cool. Yeah, everybody was available. So you made a bunch of networking connections because of the pandemic and, and I started a record label. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, some good things come of it. Yeah, for sure. Honestly, like there's people I probably never would have met had it not been for the pandemic and just doing podcasts remotely with people and having to figure that out quickly. Yeah, that's super cool though. Yeah, it was it was very frustrating at first. And I had to pretend like I knew what I was talking about where I was like say 85% sure that what my plan was was going to work that's a pretty good percentage yeah there was that 15 where i was totally bullshitting people <laughs> like I, just, I didn't know how if it was going to work or not but you know i figured fuck it let's what's the worst that could happen where there's no podcast sometimes you just got that's how you got to roll in mm-hmm. life you just got to wing that little bit you're not sure on you'll figure it out i'm a very uh creatively a very uh, shoot first in ask questions later type person. I'm like, I'm a, uh, the, let's see how it goes. And I'd say that was a huge lesson learned from all dinosaurs. My approach to how I do stand up or how I produce a, a show, whether it be for the podcast don't work or a show I produce live. My approach is always, well, let's try it out. And then figure out where where we're at from there. And that was always the possibility in all dinosaurs. We were going to try somebody's idea out. Whether we, in our head, it made sense or we liked it or not, we always tried it. And that's my approach with stand-up. That's my approach with producing shows. Let's try it. Oh, yeah. It's low stakes. I mean, it's the more I can try and get people to feel especially in the podcast studio, the more I can get people to feel comfortable and more like this is just a one-on-one conversation. We're not, the more I can get people to forget that there's mics, headphones, lights, cameras in the studio, and then they can just be free and honest, the better. Sure. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I'm a little curious. What is your biggest influence or sorry, who would be your biggest influences when it comes to comedy and stand up? There's so many. And I'm putting you on the spot, but there's got to be at least a couple that come to I mind. I would say like, the person that made me realize that I can, there is a stand-up like me would be Mark Marin. Okay. Um, yeah, he's awesome. Because I was never going to be, I, I, I knew I was never going to be a very like political, I was never going to be a insult comic but the way his approach to comedy was making fun of the inner workings of your own mind mm-hmm. that I understood very deeply so I went okay well that's I understand this kind of comedy and this is something where I feel like I can actually do now looking at some of those early bits that I had I can kind of see my um I can see that uh, I was trying, 
but it was definitely falling very short of where I wanted to be. But that's the process, you know? Like, yeah, you, it's like anything. You got to try and f- you got to find your own method. You your can't own. be afraid to fail. Yeah. Because you got to start somewhere. You got to be, you got to suck for a while. Whether you're playing guitar, bass, writing songs, you're always going to, it's going to suck for a while. Just no, it's no yeah. one, you know? No one starts out yeah. very, like, amazing at something. Right. Well, maybe some do. They're just lucky assholes. This Mike probably. <laughs> maybe. And Mike Burroughs. Yeah, maybe him. Um, so tell, so for the listeners, uh, what, if they wanted to look you up and find, uh, you know, stuff for Golden Ox Studio, your comedy. You can go to uh, goldenoxstudio.com. Uh, we're still working on the network uh, website, but you could, when that's up and running, you can go to uh, goldenoxnetwork.com. Uh, my personal pages are all at, at Jeremy Demery or J- at Jeremy underscore Demery on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, and then, you know, there, check out the shows on the network. Uh, there's a lot of really great, great shows. And I, I, I don't want to mention them individually because if I do, then somebody would have been forgotten and they'll oh. hate me for it. So. That makes sense. Yeah. So that, but uh, listeners can find all the other the shows that you produce from the website, mm-hmm. right? And oh, on our social media pages. So uh, for Instagram, it's at Golden Ox Studio underscore. No, it's at Golden Ox underscore Studio, and then for the Facebook, it's at Golden Golden uh, whatever. I think it's just Golden Ox Studio on Facebook. And then it's Golden Ox Studio under, or Golden Ox underscore studio for IG. Okay. So Instagram. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And anything exciting coming up that, that you are like pumped about or? I got a few things in the works. Uh, I, you know, I'm doing that show at Gunzelman's once a month. Uh, I love doing that show. They've been great. To, Gunzelman's themselves. Uh, Gunzelman's Tavern's been great to work with. And that's Sunday nights? Sunday. It's the third Sunday of every month. Third Sunday of every month. Okay. Yeah. We, and, uh, you know, I started doing that show just solely based on, like, it's not a moneymaker for me, but it's a lot of stage time. I don't get the light. So sometimes I can do a set that's anywhere between 20 minutes to 45 minutes. And that's what I need, you know, it, to get to that next level in my comedy I need somewhere where I can kind of st- stretch my wings out a little bit, and they allow me that freedom. So I'm very, very, very thankful to them. Then I have a few other shows in the works currently for, like, live comedy. Uh, I, I don't want to mention them now, but because I don't, uh, you know, they're not, in my mind, nothing's 100% until it's already going. So there's no point sure. in really saying what, where and how or what they are, but... Yeah, keep an eye open to what, you know, the live shows are definitely, as much as I love doing podcasts, the live shows are definitely like, that's more for me than it is to help others, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah. And then they just, uh, to go, I guess, go back to all dinosaurs a little bit. Uh, I love those guys. I love the work that we did. And I'm incredibly thankful with how things have, I'm I'm thankful that it hasn't officially ended, but it also didn't end at all. 
really. Like, we, there was no blow up. There was no argument. There was no fights. It was just life. You know, it was time for us to focus on life again. And uh, I'm so thankful that, it, it. you know, we're all still best of friends. We still talk frequently. So I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. Um, guys are a great band. And uh, if my campaign is successful, we'll get you guys you know, maybe on a stage again someday, or maybe even a new record on uh, on Earhammer Records. That that first record will be officially ten years old in December. Oh wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's crazy. End of December would be like oh, 10 years. Wow, yeah, that doesn't seem that long ago, but yeah, it goes time just goes. It fast. went quick, didn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for. For being my first guest. Yeah, no problem. Uh, it was great chat. And uh, I hope everybody will, you know, goes out and, and looks for your social media stuff and and finds you and, and checks out your, your comedy, goes back in time and, or, you know, find some all dinosaurs tunes, give them a listen. Hopefully, if hopefully I'll be working on a comedy record in 2022. Ooh. So if that happens, I'm coming back on here. Hell yeah. Talk about that. It'd be great to have you back. Yeah. And then, yeah, I go, I'm, I'll be in New York uh, December 7th through the 12th. So if you see me, well, this will come out after that. So This is, yeah, this is going to come out a little bit later. Yeah. Sometime well, probably 2020. I don't know why I'm mentioning dates. I'm the one who's going to be editing this and no <laughs> one is going to be released. <laughs> so, Well, this is a great studio and I'm super pumped that you're letting me have, uh, you know, this podcast be a part of it. And, and uh, yeah, I appreciate you, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for the great talk. Hell yeah. So I'm just going to do a little wrap up and then I'll be done. Cool. Thank you, sir. Yeah, no problem. Should I just go whenever? Yeah. Okay. It's still rolling. Okay. Well, all right, everyone. That was Jeremy Demery. Uh, here at Golden Ox Studios, and uh, I hope you all enjoyed that, and uh, I know I certainly did. I learned some stuff that I didn't know about uh, his, his, his stand-up and all dinosaurs, so it was, it was really cool. Hope you guys liked it. Um, so moving forward with the podcast, we're going to have some uh, some more guests on every episode, um, different musicians and whatever else I decide, uh, whoever else I want to have on. So uh, if you could uh, do me a giant favor and go check out Earhammer Records on Facebook, Earhammer Records on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we have a YouTube channel. Uh, there's videos on there of different the different bands. Um, lots of good stuff to go check out on the YouTube channel. Give it a subscribe if you could. And uh, if you'd like to support the podcast and the record label, uh, there's Patreon. And that is Earhammer Records on Patreon, and uh, there's some different tiers. There's, um, depending on how much you, you know, you're willing to help and give to support uh, the Earhammer cause, uh, there's, um, you know, merch and stuff that you can get that way. So T-shirts, stickers, pins, and uh, I'm going to keep making more, um, more merch to put up there to, you know, keep it exciting and uh, send you guys new stickers and pins for those of you who become Patreon members, so... All right, so that's going to be it for the first episode, and I'm gonna we're going to close out here with The Castle of Uncle Robert by All Dinosaurs. So give that a listen, and uh, we'll see you next time. Welcome to the castle.
comes Uncle Robert with his axe. 